Hi, everyone. Just before we get going, I want to remind you that everything we talk about and discuss should not be considered as investment advice. The purpose of what we talk about on Catherine Murray Media and Markets on YouTube, as well as Catherine Murray in conversation with on my podcast, should be viewed as informational and entertainment purposes only. Please definitely do your own research, your own homework, and definitely consult an investment professional before making any investment decisions. And also to note, some of us might hold positions in some of the stocks uh, that we discuss. Hi, Joseph. Um, great to, to be with you and, and to prevent, uh, present you to our uh, viewers today, particularly on the day when oil is uh, spiking, hitting $100 WTI. This, of course, all in the back of uh, Russia invading Ukraine. So um, great to have you, the owner, author of the Schachter Energy Report with us today for this special, really. Yes, thank you very much. It's a day of infamy for, and for the history books uh, with the invasion. Uh, price of oil has gone from, if you remember, in December, $62. We're now pushing 100 Um The question now for everyone is now that the invasion has started is... Um, what are going to be the sanctions? And the question is, are they gonna stop uh, exports from Russia of um, natural gas, oil, wheat, all the palladium, all the things that are needed in the world? And the big issue is gonna be how does Germany react? Because Germany is the biggest importer of natural gas uh, and that is a big import for them. Plus of course, palladium, we need that for catalytic converters, plus wheat, of course, uh, if they take over uh, the mid part uh, around both sides of the Dnieper River, uh, they'll be owning the grain basket of Ukraine plus the, the wheat basket of Russia, which will be a big amount of the wheat. So uh, I think in the end, uh, while there's gonna be tough sanctions, uh, I don't think they're gonna stop uh, the export of uh, these commodities. Uh, and I don't think Germany will buy into it. So uh, it's, a, it's a terrible day. The markets are down significantly. Um, we've been in the cautious camp on the energy sector, knowing that this uh, you know, invasion was going to occur and spike up oil prices. And we've been recommending people to take advantage of these uh, uh, rise in prices and book profits. Remember, in March of 2020, the index was around 58 uh, or 38, uh, and the index today is you know, 203, 204. So that's a pretty powerful bull market. Um, and many stocks are up five, some are even up 10 times from the lows. Um, and so I'm cautious. Now, I'm a bull longer term. So in the first slide that, uh, that I have sent to you, uh, it shows the markets uh, on energy since the early 1980s. And there's been two prior major bull markets, 1974 to 1981, names like Dome Petroleum or names people may be familiar with, uh, Discovery of Hibernia on, on the west coast, uh, east coast of Canada, Alaska major discoveries, North Sea major discoveries, Gulf of Mexico major discoveries. And we had a very nice cycle. The price of oil went from $2 to 36. The second cycle was 1999 uh, to 2008. And that was really uh, the big boom because of China being a big uh, consumer. Prior to uh, you know, 1999, um, China was producing about 4 million barrels and, and consuming only three and a half. All of a sudden, the capitalist phase that went through there, they went and now they're using 14 million barrels. They're still producing four, but they're importing 10. <clears throat> the new cycle, I think, started on March of 2020, the third part on the right side. And uh, that is the cycle which I'm calling the, the new era cycle, 
which is renewable. So we're going to need more nickel, more copper, more lithium, all of these things. They require energy to produce them. And, uh, and, and this is a benefit for Africa, for uh, South America, parts of Asia. And I think this cycle will last for the next four or five years as we move the transition to EVs. However, once you're in a bull market, if we go back to the period of 1999 to 2008, there are corrections within the bull market. And the first one occurred in 2001. And we went from, uh, you know, as you can see in the chart, we went from $37 down to 17. And we had stocks go down 40 or 50%. You can see there were two other corrections in there, uh, one in 2003, one in 2007. And then the price went up into uh, the highs that we saw in, uh, in, in 2008, in, the set, in July, June, July of $147 a barrel. I think the market has moved from, if you remember, 650 on the near on, on the next contract. The, 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 the contract that expired went negative, if you remember, in April of 2020. Yeah. And, uh, and now, so we've gone from 650 to nine to hundred dollars. That's a fabulous move. And the stocks have been 10 baggers uh, in many cases. So my view is take some profits because once the it, it's clear that. Um, even though they're going to put enormous sanctions on, and it's absolutely terrible what, what Russia is doing to Ukraine, I don't think their intention is to go into what are now the NATO countries. Um, and uh, I think that they're uh, going to stop uh, potentially taking the eastern part of the country and the southern part of the country. And maybe Ukraine becomes, uh, at, when they get some negotiations diplomacy going, that it becomes a neutral buffer uh, with uh, demilitarized. So uh, Russia's worried because historically, um, historic Russia, and, and there's charts here that you can, you can insert, historic Russia was founded in Kiev. And, uh, and so that was the heart of Russia. And so Russia, uh, you know, um, in, in, um, in, in the period, I think, uh, I'll just pull up the chart here for myself, in, uh, on chart number 12, uh, they added the eastern part of Ukraine, uh, which is the Donbass area, it was added by Stalin to Ukraine, which was Russia, U Ukrainian Russia. And so uh, that's where Putin's head's coming from, is he saying, we gave that to you. It was part of Russia. You were part of us. And now you're saying that's part of you. And then if you look at the language on, on slide 13, uh, you'll see there that the, the largest po uh, percentage population of Russian speakers are in that eastern part. And so he wants to take that eastern part and he wants to take the southern part. And I think if he takes all the ports in the, in the Black Sea, then he's going to control all the export terminals. And that effectively neutralizes Ukraine's independence because they need to have those ports to ship grain and other products out of it. So I think that's what his grab is going to be now. I don't see him intending to go after Romania, but I think he wants that bottom piece so that he can have a land bridge to Crimea and a land bridge to Moldova, which is a Russian surrogate state. Uh, and so until we know uh, a couple of things, one, what are the sanctions? What does Germany do about the sanctions? Do they abide by them? Uh, and then how far does he go? This is going to be probably a two week exercise because it has to be done before the spring thaw comes and the tanks can't move. So the first phase, of course, always is, you know, cyber warfare. Then it's the, the air war, uh, take control of the skies. That's what's happening now. All of this is pushing price of oil up. Could oil go to 110, 120 if this gets very messy? Yes. Um, and if they do put sanctions on um, uh, selling of resources uh, by Russia, that would be harmful to Germany, harmful to the world, 
But the reality is that would then make the price of oil go even further up, palladium go further up. Wheat is limit up today from what I saw earlier in the day. So we're going to be seeing some very difficult times here in the next two weeks. But I'm using that as a, as a selling opportunity because I think that uh, we're going to have a significant correction for three reasons. And we've been highlighting this in our reports for the last uh, couple of months. One, of course, the invasion uh, uh, here uh, and what that's going to do to destabilize and potentially uh, put inflation much higher, uh, and that would then require central bank action. Two central banks have gone from the old world, world rule of thumb was the Fed is your friend. And so, you know, don't fight the Fed. And if the Fed is uh, supportive of uh, with, mon with generous money supply and cheap interest rates, don't you, you got to be long the market. Now the Fed is uh, take, doing the tapers over the 120 billion a month that they were giving you. That was 1.44 trillion a year. That was 6% monetary heroin into the, into the system, which of course went into uh, financial assets, real estate also, NFTs and Bitcoin and all those things. That money is now stopping as of March. Uh, so there's still a little bit of injection. And then the question is, when do they not reinvest the, uh, the maturities? And there's some talk that it's going to be June, is it going to be July? Uh, again, that's going to be an issue. The third one to me that uh, was going to be a market destabilizer is the U.S. election in November. I think starting this summer, that's going to get very ugly and markets don't like uncertainty. So I think that uh, the reason the market's coming down is not specific to energy uh, in terms of the energy stocks. And historically, and if you go to the slides, uh, slide number two again, you'll see there the, uh, the, uh, the, the three major cycles. And then in the second one, I put in on slide three, um, the two times where oil went down because of specific oil negative stuff. Both the times there was battles for market share with OPEC. So only twice has that happened. Uh, the second one was in 2014-15 when they and Russia went at it in terms of fighting for market share. The third uh, slide four adds in all of the financial crises, all of the, uh, you know, the pandemic, uh, the invasion of Kuwait, uh, the 9-11. And those were market events which took everything down and uh, intermarket pressure came, uh, margin calls went, and you had to sell what you could sell, not what you wanted to sell. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden the market get hit. I think this is a macro event. Uh, oil in 2008 and Q2 had fabulous fundamentals. There was no excess supply. The economy was very strong. Um, and uh, people were plugging in uh, you know, $150 oil and stocks should double. Uh, some were throwing $200 oil possibility and saying stocks could go up double from there. Well, all of a sudden the financial crisis came on us, uh, the Icelandic banks, the Ireland banks, Bear Stearns, Lehman. And so I think what's happening now is this is the first part of it, which is this, this issue of Ukraine uh, and sanctions and what that does to inflation. What, for, what that forces the central banks to do uh, on it, and, uh, and then also what happens in terms of supply chain issues. So that becomes the beginning of it. Then you go into the Fed tightening, then you go into the US election. That's what I think is the reason why. I put a slide in here, uh, slide number eight, which talks about stock markets that have peaked in January, February since 1900. And the, uh, we've seen uh, 19 events like that, the worst, of course, was 1931 during the Depression, went down 62% that year. Uh, but the average is 34% in, it, in seven months. So that means to me, potentially a bottom in July, August, um, and it could be longer. Uh, but if you take 34% off, that means a 2400 Dow, 
uh, and that means uh, you know um, a 3,400 S&P 500. And so that market driver will pull energy stocks down. I think the TSX energy index, you know, which is now in the 202, 203 area, uh, potentially could go between 95 and 105, which is a 50% decline. And even the best of stocks with the best fundamentals can't fight the tape. Just go back to uh, 2020 and look what happened to Enbridge, look what happened to CNQ, look what happened to Suncor. It was, they just got massacred. Uh, and uh, and uh, my thinking is uh, people should be defensive, have cash reserves. Uh, and uh, we're, never, we're not gonna get a buying opportunity like we got in March of 2020, but if the stocks do correct significantly, there's gonna be substantial buying opportunity. And that's what's happened in prior bull markets. That's why I, I walked through those slides earlier with you, showing you those uh, corrections. And there were three of them uh, during that 1999, 2008 bull market. So there's a, a lot there, obviously, to pick up on, Joseph, and, and a lot of the connecting of the dots, which I think is really important because a lot of the time we can just look at scenarios in isolation, like the U.S. Federal Reserve and inflation. Um, but, you know, what you're really talking about today is, you know, we'd already seen it with WTI spiking, but or, well, higher, but now it's spiking. Um, and that basically, that's just going to continue that inflation trade up could weigh on global growth as well, might get a little bit of a stagflation uh, scenario, though most people don't talk about that at all. Um, and so, so you're giving a number of reasons as to why um, we would see the equity markets roll over. Um, so, you know, I, I guess that, that makes sense. But the, the one aspect I would also say um, is, you know, when you think about um, central bankers, it is going to be very, very difficult, I believe, and this is one camp, to raise rates to combat inflation when you have um, an incursion going on in Europe. I mean, we already heard that from one ECB member today, I believe, saying that, you know, let's, let's hold off on pulling back too much stimulus and want to give it a cushion. Uh, it, because of the uh, Russia-Ukraine situation. So I don't know. I mean, we got the BOC next week, March 2nd. We got the Fed next week as well. What are they going to do? I think the 50 base point hike from the U.S. Federal Reserve is off the table. I totally agree there. It'll be 25 beeps if it's that, and they can easily use the, the issue of uh, un uncertainty over what's going on with Ukraine and Russia as, as the reason. But the taper is really a big issue. The taper is 6% of GDP, $23 trillion economy. Uh, we know that's effectively done in March. So when you take going, adding 6% you know, monetary liquidity in you know, prior years, and now you're not doing that, that alone will have some impact on the economy. And some people are now talking that uh, you know, this runaway inflation means we may end up in a recession. Uh, because these, uh, you know, the disposable income means you won't have as much, you know, if you're paying more for energy, uh, uh -huh. you know, and if you're paying more for food costs and everything else, that means your disposable income. You, you look today on uh, which stocks are getting hurt. The cruise cruise line stocks are down seven yeah. or eight percent. The market's only down two or three percent. Uh, so people are looking at where money will not be spent going forward, uh, and they're worrying about that. And those stocks are being penalized. Defense stocks are doing quite well today. Uh, yeah. You know, armament sales to Europe are going to pick up. Uh, so I think there, you know, there's parts of the market that will benefit, uh, parts of the market that will be hurt. Um, I think the key thing is to watch the VIX, um, the, the Volatility Fear Index. Um, if, you, um, if you go back to 2020, which I have the data in front of me, 
um, it went from uh, 20 uh, to uh, 89, 89. And in uh, 2007, it went from 20 to, uh, sorry, 20 to 89. And in 2020, it went from uh, 20 to 85. So we're now only at 34, 35. So the VIX, until you start seeing where people were willing to buy uh, puts with massive premiums, uh, and uh, until we see that VIX over 50, I wouldn't be looking for a bottom. I think this is a couple of week adventure, uh, or I wouldn't call it an adventure for those on the receiving end of it, but a two yeah. or three week problem with the bottom line that we're going to see um, prices uh, much lower on the Dow. Uh, I think potentially in, this, in the third quarter, 24,000 on the Dow, as I mentioned. Um, and I think that that uh, uh, is going to be detrimental to portfolios. Uh, we've been saying to them that since we've had many stocks that are up five or 10 times in the energy sector from March of 2020, so under two years, it's a fabulous return. You don't normally get those kinds of returns. We're suggesting people take profits. Uh, the fundamentals will show that the stocks still look cheap. But the reality is that's the same thing we saw in Q2 of 08. But the macro event, the macro problem that drives the stock market down is going to overwhelm these fundamentals and take the stocks down. And I think there's a two for one sale in the energy sector. The higher beta names will go down more. The ones with bigger debt loads will go down more. And so we're saying to people, book some gains, go to the sidelines and have cash for another great buying opportunity, especially if you own these energy stocks in non-taxable accounts. And, and Joseph, I want to pick up. It's interesting, though, your, your overall bullish call on energy driven by uh, the demand for energy as we build out renewables. I have a bullish thesis, and it's, you know, Ravi Tamazian's and uh, Goldman Sachs on, on, believes the same thing, which is there has just been such underinvestment in the energy sector um, since about 2015. And, you know, the, the companies, the, the major oil companies have been disincentivized to uh, employ capital to grow production for years. And that is continuing. So I'm, I'm looking at this just as a supply shortage and an increasing demand. And we're not there in terms of uh, the replacement of hydrocarbons with renewables. I agree with that. And that's part of the situation. Uh, but you know, there are companies that are saying we're only going to keep our production flat and all the excess return above that will be used to pay down debt to zero in some cases. Birchcliff is running with that run in terms of getting rid of all of their debt. Uh, and there's other companies saying the same thing. And then you've got um, the, the issue um, of uh, then paying more in shareholders, dividends, stock buybacks, et cetera, which is the, the, the flavor of the day. But on the other side, you look at the cap announcement of, of capital spending in 2022, that's up over 20%. So companies are talking about growth. If you pull out any company when they report their quarterly results, they're all talking about higher production in 2022 than 2021. Uh, White Cap reported today, um, you know, you're going to see many, many companies report in the next uh, few, few days. Grand Tierra reported yesterday, they're talking production growth, uh, potentially 50% from their average of 2021. Uh, 32,000 versus 21,000, you know, so it's a big number. Uh, yeah. and, and, and so I think that, the, and the shale plays are also picking up. Um, in the last week or so, the EIA has put out two reports um, uh, which talk about their assumptions based on 
some of the lesser basins now being economic at $80 they weren't, at $100 they are. And they're talking about the US production going from 11.6 million to 12.4 million by the end of 2022 and higher in 2023. They also put in their numbers for the natural gas report uh, and that shows it. So you can go to the EIA uh, website, uh, Energy Information Administration of the United States and get that. The other thing is they have a, a thing called the productivity report, which they go through monthly what they see as the basin's potential. And the Appalachia Basin is the big natural gas basin. And, and the Permium has gas, but Permium is really the oil basin and also the Eagleford. And their forecast of increasing production is significant uh, in those key basins. And uh, that to me is why um, I think we're going to see companies uh, move because now that we have this issue of, of Russia maybe not able to sell, the pressure by governments is not going to be so much on, you know, let's do what the share, give stuff for the shareholders. We need you to bring on more supply for our own energy security. Well, that pressure point is going to start soon. Right. So, so um, got to wrap in a couple minutes here, Joseph, but I, I want to understand though um, two things. One is that you, you know, I, from my understanding, you can't just like flick on a light switch and have production increase. So can can these companies that are saying they're going to actually increase their production such, to such a large degree actually do it? Maybe in Canada, yes. Shale players, I don't know. I don't I didn't think so. And then the other aspect is in terms of um, national security, the SPR, I mean, Biden wants to tap that, tap that, um, you know, it's. It, are they able to? How much is there? I mean, what, what's the view? What, how long will that satisfy the need? The, the U.S. Uh, uh, produces about 19 million barrels and consumes 22. So they import about 3 million. And it's mainly from us, from Canada. Uh, but uh, so I don't think there's a problem of disruption from Canada. But they have 600 million barrels in the strategic reserve. Um, so they could uh, open that up and offer 100, 200 million. That's what this was created for, was events like this. Uh, and then the, the issue is uh, they would let out the heavier barrels that the Gulf Coast needs for the refineries and the light oil that's produced in the Permium and the Eagleford would be exported to Europe and the refineries there would want the lighter uh, barrels. So it's a logistics challenge of using the commodity that's needed for each refinery uh, to do that. So uh, I think that we're going to be seeing pressure on companies to uh, increase production. Uh, if you look what's going on in Europe right now, because of all these problems where, uh, where Russia is only selling to contract at $8 in MCF, the price is $30. And everybody wow. said, well, why isn't Russia willing to pay, uh, sell more? Well, the contract says they can only do it at $8 in MCF and US and, and, and the spot market's 30. They're crazy to sell more. So um, they're right now in Europe using a lot more coal. So Poland is using more coal. Germany's using more coal. Tell me that's good for the climate. Uh, and uh, to me, that really is, is the trade-off. Either they decide that they'll find enormous sanctions on, on the oligarchs. They won't be able to travel to, to London to their mansions. Uh, yeah. you know, they won't be able to go to Switzerland. Whatever they do, that's where the pain is going to be. I don't think they're going to want to penalize uh, you know, Germany and France and Italy and Hungary, which are major importers of uh, oil and natural gas. They're not going to want to destroy the auto industry in the world by removing palladium uh, from Russia, which is the biggest producer. And the other thing is you don't want uh, food prices to go up so much, wheat, bread, and all the, you know, the products that come from it. 
by 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 saying you can't sell your wheat. So you're basically saying, you know, the, the US and, and all the allies um, hands are tied. Um, you know, it, it just see, there, there's been calls for, uh, you know, for the United States and, and NATO members to to cut off the, um, uh, you know, being part of the, the global currency market. And Swiss, yeah, Swiss yeah. system. Yes. And it sounds like from what you're saying, it's almost impossible for them to do it. It would cripple Europe. Correct. That's the bottom line is uh, is the uh, is there options on sanctions uh, that can really make a, a, a hurt to the people around Putin and Putin? I don't think so, because I think Putin's got, you know, if he's got 50 billion and 10 billion is in the West, he's still got a few billion left to spend. Uh, and I don't think he spends time in London or, or in or Disneyland, uh, like Khrushchev, you know, go, go to go and have his fix of uh, Disneyland. Mm -hmm. So I think that uh, the problem is, is significant. And the other thing to, to remember is if uh, Europe um, increases their military spending and brings their military closer uh, to the borders of Poland, Romania, uh, the Czech Republic, all, you know, the Baltic states, um, you know, the, the Russians have a trump card that you do not want to see being played. And that is uh, moving offensive missiles to Cuba, Venezuela, and Nicaragua. And we know that in 1962, we almost went to World War III over the Cuban Missile Crisis. And so I think Biden has to make sure that he doesn't go too far, that Russia feels that they're, that they're pushed to a corner, and, then, and, they, and they do that, which would, I think, destabilize uh, the Western Hemisphere which is something that I don't think the Biden administration would want. And I think after the Afghanistan, uh, you know, fiasco, uh, you know, anything he does here with runaway inflation not being taken care of or oil prices at the pump, $5 a gallon U.S., I think he's just saying to the Republicans, here's the House, here's the Senate. And then he's, he, he's, he's totally, uh, you know, uh, a lame duck president for the next two years. So uh, I think these are all problems that are, are facing us. Uh, and, and I just hope they find a, a, you know, a way around this. Uh, but I think Ukraine is, is uh, um, you know, effectively a pawn in this. And, uh, you know, Russia, I think, wins this pawn. Uh, what happens next is what I think is more, is more important for the world. So it's interesting. You, you are basically saying it's a foregone conclusion that what Putin has done overnight into today um, is the way the new boundaries geography will be written yes i think he's going to take for sure eastern ukraine which is uh, the historic russian part where you have uh, russian speakers there's slides uh, that i have with that uh, that you can plug in uh and uh, i think he's going to take the south with all the ports because then he controls uh you know all of the exports from what's left of ukraine uh plus the ports uh, that it, that will be used uh, by them uh, by russia uh for their own exports uh you know on the black sea um, and uh, and then also gives them a land bridge from Crimea back to Ukraine and also to Moldova, uh, taking uh, Western Ukraine, which is mainly Ukrainian, which speaks Ukrainian, not Russian, uh, even though they probably in school take both, uh, like we take French in school in Western Canada, uh, right. and uh, and, uh, and and but that is going to be. I don't think he wants all of Ukraine because he's he's already fought two insurgency, one in Chechnya and one in Afghanistan prior to the Americans following and doing the same dumb thing. Um, but I think that uh, he's not gonna, uh, at the end there's gonna be some buffer where Western Ukraine becomes something 
separate uh, than uh, the controlled areas that Russia takes. I don't think he wants the whole country. But Joseph, what kind of precedent does that set in the world, particularly people are already talking about this as it relates to China and Taiwan? I don't yep. know. I know that I don't know that all the allies are allies are going to allow this, really. Well, well, the problem you've got is you got autocrats in Hungary and Poland already. Uh, China's already, you know, with the Uyghurs, uh, with the removing of, of democracy in Hong Kong. Uh, you know, after the he, Xi gets elected again for another five year terms later this year, I think Taiwan is on the table for him. And I think his view, as is uh, Putin's, is that America is in decline, like Britain after its, you know, its powerful phase, the Mongols after the Rome after its, he's thinking America's in decline. The American uh, budget uh, for military spending is down in, yeah. you know, inflationary terms. Uh, and America cannot be the policeman of the world. It needs NATO to, to do its job. It needs allies to be there, Japan and others. And so if uh, um, America can't do everything, that's why, uh, you know, uh, under Biden and under Obama, the tip was to go from Middle East uh, focus to Asia focus. And I think that that phase is, in, is going to continue because I think the long term dynamic challenge between the U.S. and China, China is the number two economy in the world. By the end of this decade, they could be the number one economy in the world, and they have 1.4 billion people, and America has 360 million. I think the, the numbers make it very challenging, um, mm -hmm. and uh, so I think we're in a in a in a in a challenging period here. But I think the, the this whole problem we're facing today with the markets down, I think we're looking at one or two weeks here, and then I think things will calm down, uh, and then we can see where we go from there. Uh, and what the economic impacts are. So, um, you know, I'm bullish longer term on energy as for all the reasons you talked about and I talked about, but I think the next two weeks they're gonna spike up. And then as the market gets murdered uh, and we finally get an idea of sanctions and if, they, if that includes exports from Russia, I think we're gonna see the price of oil back off uh, and the market back off, as I mentioned, uh, significantly to those levels we talked about earlier. Okay, and Joseph, um, I appreciate all of incredible knowledge and connecting the dots for everybody. Um, I normally always put this out as uh, the top five at five, which would be stock ideas, but, but that is not what you're talking about today. So we will have you back to give us ideas in a different market environment. Is that correct? I, I would say to people, cash, negative ETFs that support positions you have. So if you are long banks, there's, you know, or you're long uh, technology or whatever you're long, you can find negative ETFs to hedge part of that. There's negative uh, oil, negative uh, uh, TSX energy index, negative the XLE. There's lots of ways to hedge your portfolios. I don't think you want to do that today, With but when you see any bounces from here, uh, adding some hedging uh, to your portfolios if you're not willing to sell. My first recommendation would be cash, sell. Second recommendation, defend your portfolios. Okay. Awesome. Uh, Joseph, great to speak with you. Thank you so much. Great. My pleasure, Catherine. My pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you.